But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in the law, tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the prophets, uh, all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus is being quite clear here. Out of 613 laws, he has selected two and bound them together as one, as the most important commandment. Today we are celebrating Reformation. It's also actually the 500th anniversary of perhaps one of the most profound books in religious history, The Freedom of a Christian, that was written, penned by Martin Luther 500 years ago this year. Today we're celebrating that Reformation, that anniversary of this important book. And because it is so important, I want to begin with this question. Are you free? Are you free? And if so, what have you been set free from? I remember taking finals every finals week in college and then in seminary. I recall very clearly that last week of every semester or every trimester where we would book ourselves like crazy, reading, rereading, going over summaries, writing essays and papers. There would be all-night study groups at Denny's because that was one of the few places that was open 24 hours with free refills of coffee. When finals week was finished, after the last exam was taken, following the very last paper that had been submitted, I remember feeling a sense of relief, a sense of being free. I could go home. I was free to go home. I was free to rest. And I was free to relax and to take away some time from my studies. 500 years ago, Martin Luther wrote this important book, The Freedom of a Christian. And the first two lines of the book begin like this. A Christian is perfectly free, the Lord of all, and is subject to no one. First line, let me repeat that. A Christian is perfectly free, Lord of all, and subject to no one. That is one profound sense of freedom. And then this is Luther's second sentence. A Christian is perfectly dutiful, servant of all, 
and subject to all. Just the opposite of what you just wrote in the first verse, in the first uh, sentence. A Christian is perfectly dutiful, subject to all, a servant of all. In today's Reformation gospel, in John, let me turn to that, verse 8, 31 through 36, we're going to be reading. Jesus talks about this freedom. When he says this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my word, to my teachings. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Their people replied, but we are descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll be set free? Jesus replied, truly I tell you, everyone who is a slave of sin, everyone who sins is a slave of sin, a slave is not a permanent member of the family. But a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me, Jesus says. And because there's no room in your hearts for my message. Because there's no room in your hearts for my message. In today's gospel, Jesus is reminding us, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And I think we're all aware enough that that includes every one of us. We are slaves to sin. But Jesus is different. He is the son. And he says the son is a part of the family forever. That is profoundly important. Because it is the son who will set us free. And this is what Jesus says about that. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. You are free from your past. You are free from your sins. You are set free, Lord of all, subject to none. So if you are free, why would you want to bind yourself to be enslaved again? Why would we want to be obligated, to be restrained from our freedom? We are free. By faith, we are set free. If we are set free, we are set free by Christ's death and resurrection. And if that's the case, we don't have to do a thing, right? So why would we willingly submit to bondage, to becoming a slave? Are we free or not? In our gospel from Matthew, Jesus responds to this question by answering what is the most important commandment. Out of the 613 commandments, which one is the most important? And Jesus is very clear. He binds two together. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
how does this fit with our idea of Christian freedom? For if, if we are truly free, why would Jesus and his apostles, the disciples and Paul, why would they call us to become slaves to all? Paul answers this question in a letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. This is the epistle reading for today. I want to take just verse 19 because this is what Paul is saying about this freedom that we have in Christ. He writes, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people let me reread that part again. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people. Why would Paul do that? Why would he advocate that by writing that? There is a reason why. Paul became a slave to all people so that many that many, not a few, not one or two, but that many might be brought to Christ. Even though he is free, Paul has become a slave. And Paul answers the very question of why he does it, that he might bring many to Christ. That Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, would do this, speaks clearly to his identity. And how did he bring many to Christ? By sharing the gospel with them. By sharing the good news. That brings me to my next question for you to think about. And that is, what does the gospel mean to you? What does the good news mean to you? If we are to bring this gospel, this good news to many, what does it mean? Well, there's certainly the point of Christian freedom. But is there more? And if we're to bring this gospel to people, which people are we called to bring it to? And for every person, that's going to be a different group, a different group of people. Because God has created a passion within your own heart for a certain group of people. God has created a purpose within you for a particular people group that you want to share the gospel with. I was never spiritually deprived growing up as a child. I mean, I was spiritually blessed. You've heard me share stories before about my childhood, my upbringing, and how devout my parents were and uh, my grandparents were in rearing us in the Christian faith. That was a preeminent aspect of my childhood. Even though my dad was not a pastor, even though my mom was not in ministry, they were both profoundly uh, gifted lay ministers. My dad used to compare his exam room, which would darken as he checked people's eyes, 
He used to compare it to a confessional booth. People had that kind of trusting relationship with my father that, that they could begin to tell him things. And he saw that as a part of his vocation, his ministry, his work. Prayers, devotion, a life filled with loving Jesus and loving our neighbors. I grew up spiritually filled. I had spiritual parents, and I had spiritual grandparents, physically, but also beyond that, people that poured into my life. I grew up knowing Jesus. I never lacked for a thing, especially spiritually. In terms of food and clothing and shelter, I never lacked for that either. But the one thing that I did lack that made a huge impact on my life, the one thing that I did lack was a good heart, a good physical heart. I recently realized how the good news came to me in a powerful way. Because I needed to hear the good news. I, I grew up being teased, ridiculed. In junior high, I was even bullied and beaten up because I couldn't participate in sports. I could not even participate in physical education. The state of Iowa had to create a, a special designation for me because they weren't going to let me graduate without any PE. And yet that was one of the stipulations for my doctors that I not participate in it. So I was made fun of. I got involved in other things in music and speech, debate, choir, band. But I still felt put down. And I felt left out. And I'll never forget attending the National Lutheran Youth Gathering. We met in New Orleans. 30,000 youth from across the country gathered together in the, in the Superdome. And for the first time in my life, I remember hearing the gospel, the way that God was for me, that I was special to God, just like you are special to God. You are. And that gospel came to me, not through the, the big speakers on stage, but it came to me through some friends in my youth group from another church that were with us. It came to me through some of the lay ministers, the adults who were working with us. And I realized at that point that I didn't need to be a star athlete because I was already treasured by God. And all I needed was to rest in the assurance that God, that God loved me for who I am. And suddenly I realized I had never been spiritually de deprived, but I had been physically deprived and lost. And then the gospel came to me, the good news, to tell me that I wasn't lost.
that I didn't need to find God because God had found me and loved me. I belonged. This gospel message to me gave me a new sense of confidence. I felt secure in my relationship with Christ and that enabled me to feel secure in other relationships. The way that this experience informs me today is that I now have a passion for all people to hear the gospel, but especially for children and youth, and in particular, children and youth who have been marked as physically deprived in some way, congenital heart defects, stuttering, handicapped, being blind or deaf. Now, I love all children, but these children hold a special place in my heart. And don't make fun of any of these kids, or you'll have my wrath to deal with. My calling is to bring good news to everyone, but especially to these children and youth. What does the gospel mean for you? How has God spoken into your life through Jesus Christ? And what has God said to you that has transformed the way you think about who you are? For some of you, it means the good news is for cancer survivors. That's who you want to speak to. For others of you, it might mean that the good news is for those victims who have survived domestic abuse. For still others, the good news might be for those who grew up spiritually deprived because you, you can relate. That's how you grew up. Maybe you have a passion to serve those who have been abused with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't have to look far, even in our community, to see that people are suffering, people are struggling, people are grasping for hope. Now, some of us have been hearing this new term called pandemic fatigue. And maybe you are experiencing some of that, that you just don't have a, an ounce of care left in you. That you just want to throw it all away and just get on with life. Well, I understand that. I get that. But is that what God has called you to do? Is that who God has called you to be? I heard a powerful story this past week from 2 Kings chapter 4, and I wanted to, to share a portion of it. And that's the story of the Shunammite woman. Chapter 4, I'm going to begin at verse 8. One day, Elisha, remember Elijah was the prophet, and then when he ascended into heaven, Elisha took his mantle and became the prophet. So this is Elisha with an S-H-A. One day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem, 
A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed the way, that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I am sure that this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Who knew they had Ikea back then, right? Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One day, Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to this upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, Tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, Tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. And when the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, Next year, at this time, you'll be holding a son in your arms. No, my lord, she cried. O man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like this. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. One day when her child was older, he went out to help his father who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly he cried out, My head hurts! My head hurts! His father said to one of the servants, Carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, the boy died. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her, to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today, he asked. It is neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. But she said, it will be all right. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, Hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, Look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, Is everything all right with you, your husband, and your child? Yes, the woman told Gehazi, Everything is fine. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him. And she caught, caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She is deeply troubled. But the Lord has not told me what it is. The Lord has not told me what it is. 
She caught hold of Elijah's feet, and she wouldn't let go. His servant tried to push her away, and Elisha told him, leave her alone. The Lord had not told Elisha what was wrong with the woman. He just knew that she was deeply troubled. It would have been easy for Elisha to allow Hagazi, his servant, to brush her aside. It would have been easy for Elisha to reprimand the woman, but he didn't. It would have been easy for Elisha to ignore the woman, but he didn't. He let her cling to his feet as she cried. What has God called you to do? To whom has God called you to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Who is holding on to your feet? You see, one of the gifts of being a Christian is that we are set free from all that has bound us in the past. And we are also set free for a new life. And that new life means not only that you have a new identity, an identity that claims you from God, but you also have a calling, a vocation, a vocare, the Latin word. You have a calling. And to whom is God calling you to serve? Are you pushing away from God? Is there room in your heart for the message of Jesus? Yes, you are free. And you are called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your mind, and with all your soul. And you are called to love your neighbor as yourself. So, in the context of your freedom, what will you do? What will you do? Are you listening to whom God is calling you to? And are you preparing to make that connection? And when we do, as Paul shares in the book of 1 Corinthians, it is such a blessing. It is such a rich blessing. I invite you to join us now as we sing. Let us bless the Lord. <laughs> 